Our preaching passage today is James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This morning is the last in our series in the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, we come now to the last in our series in the book of James, and uh, we have seen how James is writing really to the global church at the time. He's writing to Jewish Christians who have been uh, spread, uh, dispersed uh, throughout the world, and uh, they're facing various challenges. And those challenges come along with this diaspora, this distance from each other, the, the social distancing that common throughout the world they were experiencing at the time, these Jewish Christians, and of course we, um, the church today, is experiencing in one way or another uh, throughout the world. And we've seen how relevant this book is, haven't we? We have uh, looked at uh, James's instructions to rejoice. Yes, the situation may not always be easy, certainly, But because we know God is sovereign, because he has an end purpose, we can count it all joy. And we looked at his instructions to um, receive God's word deeply, the seed in our heart, and therefore not only to hear the word, but as it transforms us from the inside out, to also put it into practice, to hear and to do the word as well. And then we looked at his instructions about divisiveness. And when people distance from each other, When they're socially distanced, it's easy for them to become spiritually distanced, to have different ideas, entrenched positions. And in those days, uh, they were experiencing divisiveness with relation to the rich and the poor. And so James calls on to love their neighbor, whether he's rich or poor, and to to exercise the love that Christ has given them the way they treat each other. And of course, today we experience opportunity for great divisiveness among even Christian people, Uh, particularly as we get into the political season. There are all these entrenched positions 
Um, but we're not to be separated from each other, for we are one in Christ. And so we've looked at that. And then we looked at James's theological teaching. He, he imagines an objection to all that he's been saying. Uh, aren't we justified by faith alone? And he, he says, well, yes, we are justified by faith alone, but not by the faith that remains alone. And your works evidence the genuineness of your faith. And then we looked at his teaching about the tongue, how we should be careful what we say and not let our tongue become poison or like a dagger attacking each other, but to build each other up with what we say. And then just last week, uh, as I just summarize what we've been learning as we get into the passage this morning, just last week, uh, we looked at how we should live when the future is uncertain. And of course, that's very relevant when you are separated from home and you don't know what's going to happen next and when you ever get back and when you're going through a difficult time. The future seems, as it does to many of us, very uncertain. And what James is saying, in those days especially, live at the forefront of your mind with what is certain, namely the coming of Jesus, his return. And with that certainty, therefore, Commit your life. Be generous. Don't hoard your talents and your treasure. Be generous. Invest in the kingdom. And be patient like a farmer who sows the seed and waits and waits and waits until there's a harvest. But you know it's coming because you know Jesus is going to return. Well, as we then now come to the end of this book of James, James is this morning applying his teaching at a very individual level, at a personal level. And throughout this passage, there are a series of any ones. He's imagining his mind individual situations. Someone is like this. If anyone is like this, if anyone is like that. So with all these categories that he's been dealing with, he now comes down to the particular, the personal, the individual. And that is what the Christian faith is like, isn't it? We're not just a great mass of people. God knows us individually. And, uh, and so James is applying this at an individual level. These series of any ones. The first is in the beginning of verse 13. Is any one among you Suffering. Now that word uh, suffering there, I think has uh, in its focus, in the bullseye of what James is talking about, the center of the target, um, mental suffering, emotional suffering. Because uh, in a moment, James will talk about physical suffering. And I don't think he's just repeating himself. As I say, there are these series of any ones. And also because the word here for suffering is reflected in the word that's used to describe Elijah later in verse 17. When it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, it's reflecting this word that is used in verse 13 for suffering. You might put it like this. Is any one of you bad suffering? And then later Elijah. Elijah was a man who had the same suffering. And Elijah, of course, is famous not for his physical suffering, 
But for his mental suffering, he burnt out. He became sad, depressed, spiritually, emotionally. And, uh, of course, that's very relevant. Is anyone among you suffering, feeling sad, what we might call struggling? It's one of the languages that's used in Christian circles, isn't it? I'm really struggling. Is anyone struggling? And many people are today, aren't they? When we look at the news and the, we see the fighting and the arguing, the physical fighting even in the streets, behind a lot of that is mental, spiritual struggling. Is anyone suffering? What's the answer? James says, let him pray. Of course, that's not the only thing we should do. Uh, James will give other instructions. The Bible gives other instructions. There's common sense things we can say to each other. Take a break. Don't push yourself too hard. Make sure you stay close to your friends. But so often, we forget prayer. Let him pray. God can use people to help you when you're struggling. But go first to God. It's the difference in the Old Testament between those who are blessed by God and those who are not. The difference between Saul and David. Saul did not inquire of the Lord. David did inquire of the Lord frequently. Is, is anyone struggling? Pray. Well, that's his first anyone. Second anyone, the second half of verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Now that word there for cheerful is, is a emotionally up, feeling good. It, it, it's easy, isn't it, for us in these days to think that everyone is having a bad time. Well, actually, that's not the case. There are many people today who are having a great time. When you talk to business leaders, it's, it's, it's in Charles Dickens' language, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. For some people, this has been an amazingly good season for business. You know, Amazon is doing pretty well. Some businesses are thriving. Groceries, uh, uh, people, that area of business is doing pretty well. And the same emotionally. Some people are doing fine. It's easy for those of us who are in the caring ministry people tend to come to us when they're sad to get sort of glasses half full attitude to life think that everyone is struggling no some people are cheerful but there's a danger there too you can start to look down at those who are struggling you can start to feel you're better than those who are hurting when we're up it can be a danger. Pride comes before a fall. What's the answer to that? The answer to that is praise. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The word there for praise has in its, in its root, in its origin, the idea of plucking. For it's about plucking a stringed instrument, a, a violin or a cello or a guitar or something. It's a, in other words, it's make music to God. Sing. If, if you're feeling up, 
turn that into praise to God. Get in your car, crank up the tunes, sing loudly where no one else can hear apart from you, whether you're in tune or not. Praise. Don't let how well you are doing financially, emotionally, become a source of arrogance. Praise God for it. It will keep you humble. It will keep you spiritually on the right track. So is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone, all these individual applications, these anyones, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Uh, then uh, the, uh, the next of these four anyones, the third, verse 14. And this is the longest for it was perhaps most relevant uh, to their situation in some ways is to ours. Is anyone among you sick? And there he's emphasizing particularly serious physical sickness. Is anyone among you without physical strength, feeble, weak, at the end of their physical strength, really sick? What do you do then? Well, he's going to tell us. Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about that. First of all, I want you to notice that James is assuming that the leadership of the church is a group of elders, plural. The New Testament church was led by a group of elders. That's the assumption that they would have had elders to call. Let him call for the elders of the church. I want you to notice that. I also want you to notice that James puts it on the individual who is sick to call for the elders. You know, sometimes in church life, people say, how can we possibly make sure that no one slips through the cracks, that everyone who is in a difficult situation is noticed? And people come up with systems for that, and we've got some of them ourselves, the connect system, the small groups, the adult communities, and that's all good and fine. But fundamentally and foundationally, James puts it on the individual. If you're sick, don't assume that the elders will notice. They don't have spiritual x-ray vision. They don't know what everyone is going through every moment of every day. And if they did, that would be freaky. We don't want a kind of shepherding system that's like a spiritual version of George Orwell's 1984. The big elders are watching over you, you know. No, if you're sick, it's your responsibility. Just like in the physical, practical realm. You don't, you don't expect your, your internist to know when you're sick unless you tell him or her. So if you're sick, let him call the elders. Let them know. And then what do they do? And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This instruction goes back to Jesus' um, setting apart of the apostles in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, where he, he sent out the apostles to cast out demons and to heal the sick, anointing them with oil. And here, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And uh, there's plenty of evidence that in the early church as here and right after the New Testament that it was a common practice among uh, the New Testament churches to, to 
pray for people, to anoint them to see miraculous healing. For many hundreds of years, this practice disappeared or changed. And then the last hundred years or so, it's come back into the church and people are doing it once again. What is this really about? This praying over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Some people say that the anointing with oil is a medical anointing. So in ancient times, oil, particularly olive oil, which this is referring to, olive oil, was used, as it still is today, used uh, for medical treatment. And so some people historically have said, is what James is saying is pray and also encourage the individual to get good medical treatment. Uh, it's a possible interpretation, and certainly it's good, good advice, pray and get good medical treatment is certainly good advice but probably it's not what this uh, text means probably not and the reason for that is James doesn't say elders get doctors to anoint them it's the elders who anoint and the anointing with oil is in the name of the Lord which suggests that it's a symbolic anointing a setting apart of the individual a marking of the individual as being the special recipient of prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's probably what's going on here. And, verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, what does this mean? That behind this, there is a lot of theology. And let me um, attempt to just briefly explain. So when Jesus did his ministry in the Gospels. He saved individuals spiritually, of course, and also healed individuals physically. And in the New Testament language, the language for healing and the language for saving often intermingles because Jesus did both. And here you see that same Intermingling, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up and his sins will be forgiven. There's an intermingling of physical healing, spiritual healing as well. And that's not because the New Testament Christians didn't realize that there's a difference between being spiritually saved and being physically healed. Of course they realized that. But it's because their theology... They understood that when someone is saved, then it is the first part of a guaranteed second part. And that second part is a physical saving. The resurrection from the dead, the new life in the new heaven, the new earth. Now we live in the now and not yet. And not everyone who prays this prayer of faith not everyone who prays like this will be physically healed now. Obviously, otherwise no Christians would ever die. But everyone who prays this prayer of faith will be physically healed. If not now, then one day. Because those who are saved spiritually now will be raised. And so this language of spiritual healing and 
physical healing, spiritual saving and physical saving intermingles here. The prayer of faith, the faith of those who are praying and the faith of the one who is sick, who of course is also praying, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. He will either be raised up from his sick bed now or raised up in the end when there is a new body given to that individual. And if he has committed sins, notice if, so not all physical sickness is, a resu- is as a result of moral sin, but some physical sickness is a result of moral sin. Sometimes the reason why someone is sick is, is because they're in sin. If he has committed sins, he will, be, he will be forgiven. Paul talks about this in the Corinthian church. Some of you are sick and even dying because of sin. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so all physical sickness is as a result of the fall. The reason why there is sickness in this world is because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. It's all as a result of sin. But not all individual sickness is a result of personal sin, though it can be the case. Jesus, with his ministry and to, uh, the, to, to the man that he healed, and he came and found him later and said, go and, and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. In other words, his physical sickness was a result of his moral Sickness in that case. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven because the way to be forgiven, we know, is through trusting in Jesus, the prayer of faith. And so, therefore, verse 16 confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You notice the intermingling of the language of salvation and healing for this theological perspective of the now and the not yet. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, notice about this. This is not saying, clearly, that if you have committed sins, you need to find some especially spiritual person to tell your sins to. It's not what this says. It says, confess your sins to one another. But nor is this saying, whenever you have committed a sin you must tell everyone about it. Which is a sort of the other extreme misinterpretation. Of course, if you're struggling with a sin, it's a good idea to go to a pastor or a mature spiritual person and say, look, will you help me with this? I need help. Or there's something that's deeply on your conscience that you know Jesus has forgiven you, but you don't feel he's forgiven you. It's a good idea to go to a pastor or spiritually mature Christian and say, will you pray for me about this? I need help. Of course, that's a good idea. But here, what James is talking about is the sin committed against someone else. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. When there is a conflict, when you've sinned against someone, The only way for there to be healing in that relationship is to say, look, I'm so sorry, man. I completely messed up. Will you forgive me? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Yeah, of course I'll forgive you. Let me pray for you that you may be healed. 
And then talking about prayer, he then gives some teaching on prayer. This anyone who's sick, he's meant to pray, so now he wants to teach on prayer. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When he says righteous person, he doesn't mean the person who's never sinned. He's going to refer to Elijah in a moment as an example of this, a man with a nature like ours, Elijah who was also a sinner, Elijah who also got sad and suffered and was depressed and struggled. And yet he was righteous that he was walking in faith and in the power of the Spirit. And the prayer of such a person has great power. That seems obvious to me. I've seen it so many times. But today prayer is often in the world is sneered at. Or sometimes in in the Christian church we say, yeah, I'll pray for you, but we never really pray. But the prayer of a righteous person, that's powerful. Pray. And then he gives an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He had the same suffering as us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. That's the kind of power. When it says he prayed fervently, literally it is, in praying he prayed, which is a Hebraism, a way that the Hebrews, the Old Testament Hebrew uh, talks. When it emphasizes something, it uses the same word again. The most famous example of this is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, when it says that God is not just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. The superlative would just be holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy is beyond comprehension, holy. Here, Elijah didn't just pray. He pray-prayed. He prayed fervently. It wasn't just formal and cold. It was prayer-prayer. Now remember, that doesn't mean that he shouted a lot. In fact, to the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, it was the pagan uh, priests who were running around shouting and Elijah just simply prayed. But he pray-prayed and God answered So these anyone's, these individual applications to the teaching. Is anyone among you struggling? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Praise. Is anyone among you sick? Call the elders. Let them pray. And then finally, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone, again the anyone, these individual applications. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone, actually the same word, and anyone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If any one of you is wandering spiritually, when someone wanders away from God, when someone wanders morally, when they start living in a way outside of God's plan, at the heart of that is always a doctrinal wandering first. Matthew Henry said this, there is a doctrinal mistake at the bottom of every practical miscarriage. See this? If anyone among you wanders from the truth, 
and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, if there is a sinful wandering, there's always first been a wandering from the truth, which is why we as a church spend so much time digging into the Bible. It's not just to fill our head with information. It's so that we don't wander from the truth. And of course today, many people are wandering morally, but it's because they're wandering from the truth. The first task of the church locally and globally is to proclaim the gospel as true so that we might bring people back from their wandering and save their soul from death cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that an encouraging word? Maybe you're wandering. And you think, I've done things that this church, if they knew, they would never accept me. James is saying, if you come back, it will cover a multitude of sins. And so therefore, of course, come back. Uh, in um, England, uh, where I grew up, uh, medical doctors have a practice of doing what they call surgeries, which is one of these um, linguistic cultural confusions. Because in American English, a surgery is when you go to hospital and have a bit cut off you or some sort of surgical operation. But at least when I was growing up, um, what we would call here internists, would have surgeries. And that meant that you would go along to the doctor as an outpatient and you'd sit there and you'd describe any medical issues you were having and you'd be there for 20 minutes and they'd give you some medical advice and maybe write a prescription. It was a surgery, an individual consult with a doctor. A Anglican evangelical bishop taking this model set up a system in his first pastorate whereby he would have surgery hours. People would make appointments. They'd come in and see uh, the pastor. They'd be there for 20 minutes. They'd come ready to express what their spiritual need was. And they get individual, anyone, counsel, anyone suffering, anyone cheerful, anyone sick, anyone wandering, Individual counsel. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, did something similar. Of course, he was trained as a medical doctor before he became a pastor. And so at the end of each of his sermons, he would go to the vestibule. I've, I've preached in Lloyd-Jones' pulpit in uh, Westminster Chapel in London. And I've been in the vestibule before preaching. And he would go back behind the pulpit. There was a place where he'd be. And there was a deacon there keeping order. And one by one, as uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was in the vestibule in the pastor's prayer room, they would come in, describe their spiritual situation, and he'd give them pastoral counsel. A surgery, a set of office hours, a anyone, anyone in this situation, anyone in this situation, individual application of the truth. I've been thinking about that. So we, we, 
We're a big church. And we're a spread out church. And of course, when I preach the Bible, it's preached, I trust, by God's Spirit that the Lord will apply the truth to individuals. But today, after the 11 o'clock service, when I'm done preaching, when I'm in between sermons, my mind's on the sermon. It's hard for me to focus on other things. When I'm done preaching, after the 11 o'clock service, out there in the car park, people will often come up and talk to me. But this morning, I will want to stand there and is anyone struggling? Is anyone sick? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone wandering? I'm just, I will just one-to-one, just a few minutes, I'm going to talk with you and give you the best pastoral biblical counsel I can. Because God, in his sovereignty, cares not just for us as a church, but for you as an individual. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you for this letter of James. We thank you for its application, not only to these days in which we're living, but also to the global church. And we pray, Lord, that the global church would rise up with fresh conviction and power that by faith we might minister as James here is calling us to do to anyone to bring back those who are wandering to minister to the sick and the struggling to encourage the cheerful those who are up to give their energy and joy to God in praise and we pray Lord you'd help us do that as a church as well and we pray these things in Jesus name and for his glory amen